privilege to welcome all of you to Woven Covenant Church. Um, it's also my privilege to serve as your lead pastor. Wayne Park is my name, and um, I'll be sharing a word this morning about prayer. Um, we've been in a practical prayer series for about two months now, a series where we've been learning and teaching um, not just about prayer, but how to do prayer, and in a very practical way, um, how to engage in the activity. We started off with the Lord's Prayer, the Lord's Prayer, uh, and we were given words from Jesus Himself. Lord, what should we say when we pray? He gave His disciples words, our Father who art in heaven. Some of the most powerful and special words that you can say. After that, we learned about how to do a lot of self-examination through prayer, how to see where is my spirit at, where am I today, what's going on, what's going on in this season of my life, and becoming more sensitive and more aware. It's very important for us to grow, not just as Sunday church-going Christians. It's very important for us to grow as self-aware people. If we attend church without knowing what's going on within, if we attend church without being self-aware at all, then we run the risk of repeating uh, behaviors, being stuck in ruts, and being trapped in ourselves. Examination is an important part of prayer and of spiritual life. So we learned in the second week the woven prayer of examine. Um, you can look all these up and find them on our website, the podcast um, and the audio recordings. After that, we learned how to pray meditatively all throughout the, all throughout the day, to pray prayers such as thy will, not my will be done. Um, I commit my life into your hands, Lord. And we learn how to kind of stay in the presence of God all throughout the day. I know that's hard. I know that's difficult. But that's why we call it a practice. It's actually a practice to try to stay in the presence of God all throughout the day. The following two weeks, we learned prayers of surrender and prayers of repentance. The foundation of revival and re renewal in our spiritual lives is on the foundation of us being able to if we're going the wrong way, to be able to stop and turn around and say, I was wrong, and to go back in the right direction. So repentance and surrender is the foundation of that. Thereafter, with Valentine's Day, we learn how to pray for our spouses, and the following week, we learn how to pray for our children. So we had two Sundays where we were learning prayers, words that we could use to pray for our families. It's very important to be praying and to be invested in prayer for our spouses and our children. Last week, we learned about fasting and prayer. Prayer and what fasting, um, I don't know if any of you have had a chance to practice fasting in your life and the benefits of that. And today, we're going to learn something called the serenity prayer. The serenity prayer. How many of you have ever heard of the serenity prayer? Just curious if you could raise your hand. The serenity prayer is a prayer that was, uh, that's, it's not exclusively used just by Christians, but it was written and it squarely originated in Christian theology by a Christian theologian named Reinhold Niebuhr, who lived uh, in the early 1900s. He wrote this prayer, and it's a prayer that's used today, and I think it's very, very, very profound. And so some of these prayers, um, we would say, some of these, you know, I would teach how to pray. Some of them, I would say, let's try to memorize it together. If possible, can you try to memorize this prayer this week? It's just my challenge to you. If you need help, you can find the audio recording even on our website. I think it's in Sang's voice, actually. 
and you can download and listen to it to help you memorize. Um, so that's my challenge to you. Maybe next Sunday we'll have a chance to recite it back. But if we could recite this prayer together now, I want you to hear the beauty and the power of these words, the serenity prayer. Um, most people are familiar with the first two lines, but this is the serenity prayer in its full version written by the theologian Reinhold Niebuhr. Let's recite this together now. Ready? Let's go. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference, living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as the pathway to peace taking, as he did, this sinful world as it is and not as I would have it, trusting that you will make all things right if I surrender to his will, that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with him forever in the next. Amen. Lord, at this time, with our eyes closed, I just pray. There are some of us in this room that are so restless so irritated, so discomfited. There are some of us in this room that have circumstances that are larger than life at this moment. There are some who are experiencing pain and deep sorrow. Some who are facing the disruption of the job market. Is it possible, Lord, that you can keep us through this? Is it possible that we cannot fall apart, but that we can, at the end of the day, have the courage to remain standing? Show us, Lord, I pray. Teach us. For, Lord, we need your consistency. We need you to teach us perfect submission. We need you, Lord, to walk with us and to show us the path of serenity and trust and how to let go of the worries of our lives. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. And so that passage of worry is what we're going to focus on this morning. Three headings you'll find in your bulletins. Three headings are number one, a biblical basis for serenity. And there we're going to look at Matthew chapter 6 and the famous passage about worry. And the second heading is a few stories about serenity. And finally, third is a challenge for serenity today. The biblical basis a few stories, and then a challenge for serenity. We begin with a biblical basis. What is the basis for serenity? What's the basis for the serenity prayer? I think that at least one of the foundational basis is Matthew chapter 6. I'll read that for you. Jesus is teaching here, and he says in verse 25, for this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, that they do not sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to your life? <laughs> and why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. 
Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you? You of little faith. Don't worry then, saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, but your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. I, like perhaps many of you, suffer from an addiction to worry. It's strong enough at times to keep me awake at night and to toss and turn, and it's strong enough at times to infect and invade a life of serenity. There are great long stretches, I feel like, where I'm very serene, and then all of a sudden, some anxiety creeps in or some worry, and the next thing you know, I transform into the Incredible Hulk. Green blood flows through my veins, and I'm leaning on the horn, and all of my serenity spills out, and I feel like I've lost all of it. And then after that, I have what you call a worry hangover where I feel like for a week I feel terrible because all of my peace seemed to be spilled out in one moment where I would just let my kids have it or I would express how I really feel on the highway. That's why self-awareness is constantly important. How can we, be, how can we live this passage about not worrying if we're so prone to anxiety, if we're in a place where it's just been building up? The repeated word here in this passage six times is worry. Worry, 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 worry. More specifically, I should say it's in the negative. Do not worry, 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 do not worry. For us, of course, it's worry, 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 worry. And the antidote Jesus prescribes is in that last verse. It's quite simple. What's the secret? Don't worry. <laughs> Let tomorrow, literally translated, worry about itself. You can literally translate that. Let tomorrow care. Let tomorrow worry about itself. Each day we have enough grace for this moment, enough grace for this 24 hours. What happens tomorrow, uh, we, don't have to, we don't have to get caught up in. We're given now. We're given today. There's a great story that that I really love, and I've been waiting to tell it. There once was a man who was sentenced to death tomorrow. Tomorrow, he was facing the death penalty. The king said, you stole an apple or you did something wrong, so I'm going to kill you tomorrow. You're going to be sent to the executioner. And the man pleaded. He said, tomorrow, oh my goodness, please, oh king, if you let me live one year, just one year, I will teach your horse how to fly. And the king said, what? And he said, one year, just give me one year and I'll teach your horse how to fly, I guarantee. And the king said, okay, let me see this. So the king extended his life for a year. His jailer finally came over to the man and he said, how in the world are you going to teach his, his horse, the king's horse, to fly? And the, and the man said, I have no idea, but who knows? Tomorrow, 
the king may die, I may die, the horse may die, or who knows, maybe the horse will fly. Take care of today. We worry and we fear about the next 24 hours, but that is not in our range. You and I, friends, are not masters of tomorrow. We are not masters of tomorrow. We're given today as a gift, as a gift, as a gift. And God gives sufficient grace for one day at a time, each day at a time. Who knows? The problem you're facing, just remember, horses might fly. If you have some stress for the next week or the next month, who knows? Anything can happen. Horses may fly. That's tweetable right there. Horses may fly tomorrow, so just take care of today. God gives us grace for today. You hear what Jesus is saying here. My goodness, I feel like I'm listening to a hippie. He says, don't worry. Tomorrow will take care of itself. All this stuff about, don't, you know, let tomorrow worry. Don't worry. And I begin to wonder, is Jesus telling us to just, it almost sounds like he's, he almost has this arbitrary come what may, almost this unstructured lifestyle. Part of me that's organized, part of me that's the organized, agenda-driven person, I get frustrated with Jesus. I say, tomorrow I have a big day, Jesus. You're telling me to worry about today. Don't you know that tomorrow I have this and this and this? Don't you know that my whole life depends on what goes on in the next week? And he says, not really. And as we hear the words of Jesus, sometimes I wonder if this is just too hippie for me. Jesus, you're a little too bohemian. You're a little too laissez-faire. You're telling me to just kind of relax. I like the verses that say more about, that talk about count the cost. That's what I want to hear. Count the cost. Know what you're getting into. Jesus, you don't suffer foolish optimism. It's important for us to be planned. Of course it's important for us to be planned. But then again, I also hear these verses where Jesus is talking about leave it behind. Let go of the nets. Just come. So on the one hand, yes, Jesus doesn't suffer foolish optimism. We have to count the cost when it comes to committed discipleship, yes. But on the other hand, there's almost this, I mean, I, it's almost such this let your hair down and just be free and let it go. We're thinking about empire, revolution, the next important thing, the next great thing. Jesus spends about 10 verses or so talking about birds, lilies, fields. Do you hear this? There's something about the message of Jesus that inescapably brings us back to earth into the here and now and brings us back to serenity. I think the biblical message, the biblical message for serenity, it's not just here. The, big, the, 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 really, the, the, the book that features strongly in my mind is the book of Hebrews. In the book of Hebrews, in chapter 4, it talks about God creating another day of rest. And all throughout book of, the book of Hebrews, a lot of it is about rest. If, there anybody, if there's anybody that needs to hear this message, it's me. And the author of Hebrews is talking to the Christians, to the Jewish Christians. And he says, there's another Sabbath day. When do Jews celebrate Sabbath? Anybody know? Don't be shy. And the seventh day is 
I mean, at least today, it's Saturday. They observe Saturday. The author of Hebrews says it's another day. So who thinks it's Monday? Tuesday? Wednesday? Thursday? Friday? Sunday? The answer is none of the above. You know what the correct answer is in the book of Hebrews? Today. He sets aside another day of rest. You know what that day is? Today. Now. The book of Hebrews teaches us and tells us that rest, it's not just about 24 hours where I get to sleep in. There, those days that I get to sleep in, you know, it's actually not about more sleep. It's about what's going on in my spirit. I know even if I sleep in, I'll still, I can still be restless, irritable, and discontent. It's about trust. It's about a spirit of playfulness, knowing that we've been saved, knowing that we've been freed. This attitude, this attitude, I think, is what we're talking about. Yes, intrinsically it's about salvation. But shouldn't salvation make you a lighter, freer, more playful, more serene person? Yes, I believe it. Salvation should make us free. Salvation should make us liberated. Salvation should result in that fruit of joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. I want you to hear the words of this poem. If you can pull that up on the screen, Frank. Every time I read this poem, it convicts me. The poem is called Renew by Melody Beadle. And she says, rest when you're tired. You know, the Sabbath rest was so important for the people of God, for Jewish people. That translates to the Christian faith as well. Rest for us is so important, and it's not just about a Sabbath day. It's about trust, reliance, serenity. Rest when you're tired. Take a drink of cold water when you're thirsty. Call a friend when you're lonely. Ask God to help when you feel overwhelmed. How many of you feel overwhelmed this week? You know, many of us have learned how to deprive and neglect ourselves just a little bit more, just a little bit further, just another hour. Many of us have learned to push ourselves hard when the problem is that we've already pushed, we're all, we are already pushed too hard. Ooh, this one gets me all the time. Many of us are afraid the work won't get done if we rest when we're tired. But you know what? The work will get done. It will be done better than work. It will be done better than work that emerges from tiredness of soul and spirit. Nurtured, nourished people who love themselves and care for themselves are the delight of the universe. They are well-timed, efficient, and divinely led. You know, the question is, do we feel this way? Do we feel this way? And on that note, I'm going to transition to the next heading, which is just a few stories. If Sang, you want to make your way up. A few stories about serenity. And I've asked Sang to share one story about serenity. I've got another one afterwards. But the reason I've asked Sang is to share his testimony on serenity is because I remember a couple of months ago, I think it's more than that. It's almost like half a year ago. Um, teaching him the serenity prayer. 
And the thing is, sometimes I'll share something and I'll say, I think this will really help you. And then usually, you know, advice goes unheeded. But for me, it was like watching, it was, for me, it was like prescribing a medicine to saying, and watching him take it. And he memorized this prayer. And not only watching him take the medicine, but seeing it make him, make him better. And there's nothing, I mean, for those of you that are in the medical profession, you know that, I, I guess that's what it must feel like to have joy, to know that what you've prescribed has really, really helped somebody. And so I wanted him to share his thoughts about the serenity prayer and how this medicine has made him better. So go ahead and take it away. Thank, thanks, Pastor Wayne. And actually, um, you taught me the serenity prayer probably two years ago, so <laughs> I think your timing is just a little bit off, but that's all right. <laughs> um, wow. Well, you know, praise God. I think that, um, I don't know, some of you guys are aware, uh, but when we started this church um, and we started to get to know one another a little bit more. We went through this series week in and week out where people were giving their testimonies. Um, and I had a testimony. I was like, okay, this is what I'm going to give. And then I remember that day because it was here and I dressed up, like really dressed up like I was going to work. I thought it was some proper, you know, setting. So I got up here and I sat and then I, I said, you know what, I'm not going to say anything that I thought, think that I'm going to say. So a little bit was more about something else. And it actually wasn't about, for example, what Pastor Rain wanted me to speak about. Um, so I'm really glad that you gave me the opportunity to speak again um, because, you know, something profound happened to me around that time when I was giving my testimony. It was about three months after I had ended my engagement. Um, I was engaged to a, a girl in New York um, in 2012, and we... We dated for, for about a year and a half, and then we got engaged, and we we're going to be married <clears throat> in September of 2014. By the way, I'm not, I'm not going to cry. This is more kind of like a sinus thing. Um, but but we, were, we were engaged to be married in September of 2014, um, and long story short, uh, what happened is that we ended the engagement one month before the wedding. And if you guys can imagine, we planned everything. We had the venue, we put the money down, we did all this. Parents met multiple times, they loved each other, everything was perfect except for us. And I remember calling Pastor Wayne, I think about a month before the broken engagement, I said, Pastor Wayne, I feel something is off. I, I just need your help, your counsel. And he taught me the serenity prayer. And like he said, he probably just looked in his prayer book and he just started scrolling <laughs> and he probably said, ah, yeah, this one sounds good. Um, <clears throat> I, I want to call that God, but, but, but God let Pastor Wayne to give me that serenity prayer. And, and he's right. I memorized it. Um, I said it every day, at least two or three times. And you know, when you're trying to work and you're trying to do this and then you're thinking about it, I was just like, okay, let me just stop. Let me just say this prayer. Um, and there was something very powerful about it because it, it's, it was making me realize how much control I didn't have over a situation or how much control I didn't have over a person, right? Um, and before I get to the broken engagement part, you know, it, it kind of is a testimony to my life as a bigger picture. Um, I am the, the firstborn son of a Korean family. Um, lots of pressure, lots of pressure. My mom would make me read the dictionary for the SAT. 
She would make me work every day. And she always told me, you need to marry a Korean woman. And she has to be able to do this, 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 this. this. And I wrote it down. I wrote it all down. And I said, okay, Oma, I'll do it. I got it. And so it kind of happened that I think in retrospect, I jumped at the very first opportunity to see something like that become realized. I took it literally, guys. I did. And, and so my ex-fiance was part of a great Korean family, uh, really nice. It was, it was just great. Um, but then a month before, she just said, I can't do it for whatever reason. I, just think, I think she wasn't ready. She just wasn't ready. Whatever that may look like or whatever that may mean, she just wasn't ready. Um, she felt, in a way, and this is kind of ironic, that she had to control her destiny. She, she said, I need to do more school. I need to do this. I need to do that. Um, and you, actually, it's not you. It's me. You guys heard that before, right? So um, I, I literally think that she just was not ready. So I don't hold any ill will towards that. Um, but, but the broken engagement happened, and then a week before, I was saying the serenity prayer like 10 times a day, and then I ended up flying over to New York, and, and I ended it there. And while I was flying, it was the, the weirdest thing happened. Um, I was just, I was sleeping because I was really tired, up, up at night thinking about it, and then just something calming came over me. And it was almost like a voice that just kind of said, don't worry, it'll be okay, I promise. There are better things. And um, we ended the engagement, and the hardest part was having to tell her parents, who were just beside themselves, that it was going to be okay, that they should love their daughter no matter what, that they're not going to have to worry about me. That was real tough, because I didn't mean that. I didn't feel that at all. Um, And then on the plane ride back, um, the same calming feeling, it'll be okay, it'll be okay. All right, and so... For a good month, I was just depressed, down, and I didn't even look at the serenity prayer. I was like, forget the prayer. Um, But then I started looking at it again. And then the greatest things started to happen. And I'm trying not to look at her, but (laughs) enter Chan. Um, As you guys know, Chan and I have been dating for a little over a year now. Uh, We met at church, and... She's been part of the praise team with uh, Bobby and myself, and we've just, um, it's crazy. You don't think about it, but, but I've really grown with her. She's an amazing person. Hold on. <laughs> no, I practice for this. I watch the Academy Awards, so I'm trying. When you're about to cry, you just have to. No. Um, God made me realize that there is a person out there for you. And that person may not be what you think that person will look like, but to her credit, she is the most. <laughs> Why are you crying? She's very loyal. She's really taught me how to accept just as much as I give. And I thank her for that. And um, all the praise and glory to God for that. Because I almost made the biggest mistake of my life. 
and I have the, one of the greatest blessings. So, you know, this prayer transformed my way of thinking into believing that. Other great things, and, and by the way, as great as she is, there's, a, there's other things. My sister, my sister around the same time moved to, to Houston to, to teach, um, and we have just completely transformed our relationship. Oh, man, you are so sweet. Thank you, sir. When Jenny was up here, I ran to the bathroom and got a bunch of tissue, too, so that's kind of funny. Um, no, but um, Sarah, you know, her and I are five and a half, six years apart. We never had a relationship growing up. I actually used to practice wrestling with her, so I would body slam her. On <laughs> but uh, she, 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 we didn't really have a relationship. You know, that, 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 those years that are apart, you know, you don't really get to know your sister. And then we started getting a little closer after she got back. And so now... Our relationship, getting to know each other, is amazing. I don't know if I could have done that if I was in a, in a marriage and she had to live somewhere else. She'd be struggling by herself, you know, so praise God for that. Um, one of the greater things is this church. This church has been amazing. The fact that I'm on praise and worship now, being able to grow with Chan and also with Bobby, I mean, you can't ask for better people. Getting to know other relationships, like Paul. Paul and I, we golf, and we'll just... Talk about life on the golf course. It's great, right? Andrew, getting to know Andrew, going through his ups and downs, going back and forth. I mean, this is stuff that you can't do if you're worried about how your marriage is going, right? You can't do that. And I mean, one of the bigger things, we pick up Bennett every, every Sunday. And I didn't, I didn't really talk to Bennett before then, but just, you know, tapping into that brain of his has been, has been fun, we have some interesting conversations, don't we, Bennett, on the, on the, on the way to and from church. So um, the, the, the big, I think, lesson that I've learned just from the Serenity Prayer and just in general is that um, we all try to control. And even, even today, I still have worries. Work is still busy, really, really busy. Career is starting to take off. That's great, but with that comes a lot of responsibility. Um, still have to worry about when I'm going to get married. Still have to worry about my parents moving to Houston. They're going to retire soon, moving to Houston. There's a lot of things that, that I have to worry about and think about how I'm going to place things or control this and control that. But I think the difference is that I have a peace about it. I know that it's coming. And I know that, you know what, regardless, it's going to be okay. Regardless of what happens, it's going to be okay. And so, I mean, I think that's, that's, that's the biggest thing that I can, th- that's my testimony for that. And I'm glad I had a chance to redo it. And I think it was better than the first one, and even though I'm not dressed up. So. It was um, really a blessing. It was good to, sh- good to hear that saying. Serenity is something that I think does not have to be uh, a touch-and-go experience in our lives doesn't have to be something that we'll experience maybe two days out of the week and then the other five are tumultuous. In some Christian traditions, they talk about living in a way, we sang the song by Fanny Crosby before, Perfect Submission. I think it's possible for us to live lives that are not necessarily perfect, not necessarily sinless, but I think it's possible to attain to a state of Christian living where we can be serene through good and also the seemingly bad. 
I think it's possible to live a Christian life, so to speak, on a higher plane, on a higher level, on a level of inspiration. I do think it's possible. I really, really do. Again, I'm not saying perfection or sinlessness, but a state where we are almost not overwhelmed by the wave, but we're surfing the wave. We're on top of it. I want to tell you one last story about somebody that lived in an amazing and profound serenity. His name was Father Maximilian Kolbe. Father Maximilian Kolbe was renowned for his serenity, especially since he lived during World War II. And himself, because of anti-Nazi activities, was sent as a prisoner to Auschwitz, the concentration camp. One day in the concentration camp, several prisoners were found missing. They had escaped. And so the commander decided to make a lesson out of it, to deter future prisoners from escaping. He said, we're going to execute 10 men by starvation. So literally, no food, no water, execution. There was one man who broke down, who was chosen to be of the 10, and he broke down weeping And he said, my wife, my children, what will they do? And at that moment, Father Colby stepped out and he volunteered to take his place. And he said, this man has a family. I have not. I belong to Christ alone only. Let me go in his place. And according to the accounts and the stories, Maximilian Colby went to the prison where he was systematically starved, dehydrated, and during the whole time held his chin up high and was calm, poised, and serene. He had a reputation for being calm and poised. And until the very end, because of his serenity, it kept him alive longer than all the others. The other nine men died. And he was in the prison, dehydrated, faintly alive, And they came to administer an injection. So if you'll ever see the the paintings of Father Colby, you'll see him in prison garb with a needle sticking out of his arm. And they decided to execute him with an injection of carbolic acid. And according to the story, even at the last moment, he calmly and serenely raised his arm. I do think that it is possible. I don't cite myself as the example, as the model exemplar of this, but I try, I really, and I can, I can tell you honestly, I try to live my life. I have my slip-ups. I have my moments where, it's, where it feels like, you know, one step back, but there are more serene days than there are not. And I find that when I'm not serene, what helps to get me back on track oftentimes is either a confession or an apology. I'll just say that. If I'm not serene, what usually gets me back onto track is either a confession or an apology. If I don't confess, if I don't apologize, chances are I'm nursing or rationalizing a state of being. Well, I deserve to be upset. I deserve to be irritated. They did this. This happened to me. And as soon as I nurse it, well, the longer I stay in that state of unserenity. 
But the quicker I find, and I'm learning as I get a little bit older to do this quicker and quicker, to apologize quicker, to confess quicker, and I find the serenity returns. In closing, a challenge, serenity today. Three challenges, and we'll wrap up with this. The first is don't resist. That's the fill in the blank. If we find that our life is lived where we're fighting, where we're rationalizing especially, rationalizing, self-justifying, then we're fighting, we're resisting something. Don't resist what God is doing. Let Him speak to you. Let Him do what He will. This is the spiritual practice. It's called radical acceptance. Radical acceptance. Resisting nothing. Don't resist anything. Even if it's bad, if it happens, don't fight it. This is biblically based. Matthew chapter 5, verse 39. Do not resist an evil person. Instead, turn the other cheek. So don't fight it. Psalm chapter 46, verse 10 also says, seize striving. I love that. Seize striving. Stop trying. Seize striving. And know that I am God. Know that I am God. Seize striving. Don't resist. The second challenge, we've already touched on this. Live one day at a time. Live one day at a time. Remember, remember, horses may fly. Horses may fly. Don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about the next six months. Do the right thing today. Do the right thing now. Tomorrow, there are stores of grace for tomorrow. Let's live one day at a time. And the third challenge is a question. What is, my, what is the serenity stealer in my life today? What is stealing my serenity? What is the serenity stealer? Maybe it's something as simple as Facebook. Right? I see some nodding heads. Facebook is a serenity stealer. Rushing is a serenity stealer right? Late to work, rushing, rushing. That's a serenity stealer. What is a serenity stealer? Just be aware of that. Jot a few things down, perhaps, as you listen, as you just reflect, yeah, maybe, maybe this, this has been stealing my serenity lately. Maybe, maybe, just maybe I might fast that or just be aware of that or change something. In closing, let's recite the serenity prayer one last time, and then we'll finish. The serenity prayer, all together. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship, as the pathway to peace. Taking, as you did, this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it. Trusting that you will make all things right if I surrender to your will. That I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you in the next. Amen. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would touch every heart in this room, in this place today. 
and that you would bring people to a place of increasing self-awareness so that the things that are making them discomforted or restless, worried or nervous, I pray now that in a mighty way your Holy Spirit would descend upon this place, giving the, 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 the freedom and the lightness and the courage and the peace that we so hungrily and thirstily, we so desperately need. We, we hunger and thirst for it. Lord, I pray that you would come heavy on this place now. For those who hunger and thirst after righteousness will see the face of God. And so at this time, may you feel the love of God. May you feel the assurance and the comfort Don't worry about the job market. Don't worry about the work that needs to be done this week. And now in the name of the Holy Spirit, Jesus the Son, find the power that will free you from that incredible burden that sits on your shoulders at this time. May it be lifted now in a mighty way so that you walk out of this place lighter. there's anyone here that needs help, then I invite you to just pray with me at this time, and you can repeat after me. God, help me. I feel trapped, burdened, overwhelmed. Please lift my spirit up today. Show me how to take my foot off the pedal. Give me complete trust in you. I receive you into my heart. I place my faith in you. Come and live with me. In Jesus' name.